This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hi, I'm Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight. And today I'm here with one of my favorite authors, Lamar Giles, author of so many amazing things, but most recently the episode Power and Purpose. Um, If you did not check out Wilson's Pawn and Loan from season one, make sure you go back and listen to that because Lamar is an amazing writer and I'm so thrilled to have him here today. Lamar, how are you? I'm great, Tanya. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's October. So, you know, best month of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The weather starts to get nice. I don't know where you're located. I'm in Texas. So, you know, here the summers get hot. And once October rolls around is when like we can go outside and not die anymore. So <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty, pretty stoked about that. But you're like up northish somewhere, right? I feel like now, I'm on the East Coast. I'm in Virginia. I'm in the mountains. Oh. So we get the weather where it's like it can be like very warm and comfortable during the day. It's just like super cold at night right now, which is fine yeah. because um, we're not out the house at night right now. We just had a, a baby. So um, we're, yeah. we're very homebound. But in the daytime, we're able to take her out, enjoy some sunlight and some some good warmth. So it's this is my favorite time of the year here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's my favorite time of the year, too. But I do wish I were in the mountains. That sounds amazing. It's fine until it snows. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. I don't do yeah. well with snow. You know, we had that freeze thing that happened in Texas. I saw this last February and a girl did not know what to do with all that (laughs) snow. (laughs) Yeah. I I like these moderate temperatures. I'm the moderate temp guy. I want a jacket weather, you know? Yes. Yes. That's what I like to, I don't like to be too hot. I don't like to be too cold, but you know, all the places that have that nice moderate weather, like Hawaii are expensive and I can't afford to live there. So you know, it is what it is. (laughs) Now I did see you post some pictures of your baby on um, Twitter. Uh, How old is your baby now? Eight weeks tomorrow. So this, whatever day this is, so I'm losing all kinds of track. <laughs> I know I keep track by her age. She's eight weeks tomorrow. So she's been a joy. Just sweet, sweet baby. Um, like like babies do. She doesn't like to sleep through the night. Right. And so we are finally adjusting to that. We're used to being tired. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I had my son, like I'm a sleeper, like I've always been a sleeper. You know, I can sleep. You, If you let me sleep the way I want to sleep, I will be in the bed for 12 hours. Like yes. I sleep and man, it was an adjustment when I had my son. <laughs> you know, it, nobody lies about it. Everybody says the exact same thing. Like you're going to be exhausted. It's just yeah. no way to prepare until you're actually going through it. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know the depth of it. You know, like everybody tells you that, but you think, oh yeah, you know, I'll be tired. You think, you know what tired is, but no, you really don't. <laughs> it is it is a new level. It is a yes. new level. We're, 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 we're finding ways to work around though. It's, it's, it's good. Awesome. So how are you getting writing done with a newborn in the house? Less. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> there's, there's much less writing happening. It's, it's yeah. Someone else asked me that recently and I said, I'm probably working at like quarter speed. I'm one fourth of what I was before the baby was born. And that's fine because my editors understand everybody I know 
professionally knew this was coming. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's been really great working with me. I'm working on like three big projects right now at the same time, but I've got gaps between them. So like mm-hmm. one thing I'm probably going to wrap up this week and then roll right into the next thing next week. And so I'm able to manage it that way and, yeah. you know, chip away. That's all you can do. Sit down, get done what you get done. Yeah. And in the evening when my daughter falls asleep in my arms, I'm done for the night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really good advice though. You know, I, I know one thing I really struggle with as a writer is, you know, I feel like if I can't sit down and write for whatever length of time I have in my head that I want to write, then I'm like, you know, well, I'm just, I'm not even going to do it. You know, mm-hmm. if I can't sit down for an hour or two hours or whatever, then, you know, I just say, okay, well, I'll do something else. And, you know, it's really not the most productive way to handle things. You know, if I, if I have the time, you know, even if it's only 15 minutes, you know, that's 15 minutes that I'm writing that, you know, I'm going to get those words in mm-hmm. and, you know, it's certainly better than not writing at all for sure. You know, I, I think it was Stephen Barnes who said this and I'm always taking advice from Stephen Barnes and probably mangling it. So if Stephen <laughs> Barnes here says, forgive me, but I believe he said something like just write one sentence. Yeah. You know, sit down, write one sentence. And I guess the magic of that is like, no one writes just one sentence, you know? Yeah. And if you kind of get that in your head, I'm going to sit down and do the one sentence, you'll get much more done than you ever expected. Right. Yeah. I actually read this book. I want to say it was called The Power of Habit. Mm-hmm. That may not be the right book, but I think that's what it was. Um, but the, the premise of it was that you basically create like these tiny habits is what they call them. And so if you're you know, trying to start to exercise more, you know, don't start with, oh, I'm going to go to the gym for an hour a day. Or if you're trying to write more, oh, I'm going to you know, book out you know, five to six a.m. to write every day. And that's what I'm going to do. Because that's much more difficult to do in the beginning. You know, that's a big shift for you. But yeah, if you say, I'm just going to sit down, I'm going to write one sentence every day at, you know, 3 p.m. or, you know, pick a time, you know, as soon as you get home from work or like, you know, right before you go to work or, you know, if you're trying to exercise, you know, build an exercise routine every time you go to the bathroom, do, you know, two push ups mm-hmm. or something like that, just so you're building a habit. And if you start with those tiny habits and then slowly build on them, you know, so then one sentence becomes one paragraph, one paragraph becomes one page over time. And it's much easier for you to develop a consistent habit that you're going to be able to stick with long-term successfully. If you start with, you know, that one sentence or that one push up rather than trying to go big or go home. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that advice. 100%. Definitely recommend that book to every writer. Well, anybody that wants to build any sort of habit in their life, whether it's writing or exercise. And, you know, I keep saying exercise because that's the big thing that's in my life right now is, you know, I'm trying to get into the habit of exercising again and you know, I'm finding it difficult. You know, Someone asked me the other day about that, too. and I didn't have as great an answer <laughs> as I had for my writing. I'm like, I really need to figure out how to do physical things again. Yeah, I just I, I need to take your advice. I need to just like you say, go to the bathroom, do five pushups, whatever it is, something. Yeah, something's better than nothing. Yeah, I can't use the baby as an excuse for that. No, but you know what? Like the other thing you have to remember, though, is that like, yeah, you're tired, you know, and it's important to take care of your health. And, you know, I think a lot of people do use, you know, their mental health or something as an excuse. And, you know, they know that they're doing it, but, you Mm -hmm. know, they're still justifying not doing something because they're saying, oh, well, I'm protecting my mental health because I've got a newborn at home. You know, I need that rest. So I'm not going to write today because, you know, I need to be able to rest so that I can, you know, be better tomorrow, but then tomorrow comes and then they don't write anything tomorrow either. And, you know, I say they, but really I'm talking about me. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I know. I mean, like, like we should, we should commit to each other to, to work on our personal tiny habits and yes. check in every so often. 
Yeah, it would be a really great, like, you know, group to have like a tiny habits writing group or tiny habits exercise group just to hold people accountable. You know, did you do your one push up after you went to the bathroom? Tonight? <laughs> you know, kind I'm, of I'm not going to give you more work to do, though. I know you're busy. doing Right. Yeah, 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 I can't organize that group. But, you know, if a listener wants to organize a group, I will be happy to join. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So let's talk about power and purpose. Like, I really enjoyed this story. You know, I grew up in the South. And, you know, Black people in the South are pretty religious as a general description of Black people in the South. At least, you know, that's been my experience. I don't know how it is for Black people from the North or from other countries. But, you know, in the South, Black people take church and religion very seriously. And I feel like this story definitely reflected a lot of those sort of attitudes that you see in Black churches and, you know, maybe white churches too. I don't know. I've never been to one, so I don't, I don't know how that really operates, but I'm curious what inspired you to write this particular story and, you know, why, you know, cause your main character has premonitions in this mm-hmm. story. So why did you choose a religious leader as the person who she has a premonition about in this story? So it's interesting because when you reached out about this particular story, I hadn't thought about it in many, many years some context for when I wrote it. I was a very young writer at the time. I was probably maybe like 25, 26 oh, years old. Wow. Um, I'm 41 now, which is, I don't mind telling people. And I, that was in the third Dark Dreams anthology, which was edited mm-hmm. by Brandon Massey. So that anthology was Whispers in the Night. Mm-hmm. And so just to give you my headspace at the time, I knew it was going to be the last anthology. I contributed to the first two hadn't really had a ton of success otherwise. And I was trying to figure out, trying to test some waters in terms of what might work as a novel. At the same time, having grown up in Black church in the South, uh, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. I'm very familiar with that environment. And me and my wife were attending a church at the time that had a leader I didn't feel great about. Right. So it was a convergence of, I'm trying to create a character that maybe could use in a novel later. Mm-hmm. And I've had these weird feelings about this church. And is there a way to mesh the two and test how this particular scenario works? Because in my mind, if the story works, maybe there's a novel there with the same character mm-hmm. doing something or other. I'm thinking in my head like a supernatural mystery thriller situation. And so it really was born from just the necessity of needing the story for the anthology, having a sort of weird church experience I wasn't enjoying. And wanting to continue to write, knowing that I wasn't going to be able to keep leaning on Brandon's anthologies. Right. And power and purpose spun out of that. Well, I think it's an amazing story. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I love anything with sort of a supernatural twist to it. And, you know, again, you know, because I grew up in, you know, a pretty religious environment, you know, it definitely spoke to me in that way. Um, I'm curious, though. So, you know, you did contribute stories to all three Dark Dreams anthologies. And you said you were a young writer when this happened. And that was kind of, you know, the success that you'd had up at this point. So I'm curious how how you feel about having had that opportunity. Do you think you would be where you are now if you hadn't had that opportunity? Maybe. So I maybe could have gotten here Mm -hmm. if I had never been in the Dark Dreams anthologies. But the beauty of them was Brandon really gave me a, a shot in the arm, a confidence boost mm-hmm. at a time when I was really close to probably quitting. Yeah. And I say that because it wasn't Dark Dreams wasn't the only thing happening at that, at that time to help me keep going. Like other small things that weren't being published were still pushing me forward. But 
to be able to be a part of that anthology and the subsequent two anthologies, meet the people who were in those anthologies, just build a friendship with Brandon. Sure, I may have gotten here otherwise, mm -hmm. but he definitely gave me a clearer path. Yeah. I mean, and I say that if, if you think about it, my first novel wasn't a horror novel. Mm -hmm. So there was a slight swerve at some point, but being able to be recognized by a person I admire like Brandon Massey and being those anthologies were definitely encouraging. And it's the sort of encouragement that I've tried to help foster in other young writers. And I'm still working on some ways where maybe I can help give someone else a boost as my career goes on, because I do recognize it was really invaluable. Yeah. And, you know, I think you touched on something really, a couple of things that were really important there. You know, one, you know, how you said you were almost ready to kind of just give up and say, you know, this isn't in the cards for me. And I think, you know, that's a really difficult thing for any writer. You know, I think all of us at some point feel like this is not in the cards for me. You know, I should just give up. But something that I can't remember who told me this, it was, you know, a friend, a teacher, somebody, I don't know, but it's always darkest before the dawn. And I've kind of used that to guide me a lot. You know, when I'm ready to give up on something, when I'm ready to quit on something, that usually means, you know, at least for me in my life, that something is about to start moving forward. You know, like I may be tired, but if I can be patient just a little bit longer, there's, there's something that's going to happen that's going to, you know, build my confidence and keep propelling me forward. So that brings me to the second point of what you said that, you know, really helped you build that confidence to continue and, you know, give you that shot in the arm, that motivation that you needed to, you know, keep slogging through all the tough stuff so that you could get to, you know, New York Times bestselling author. <laughs> I mean, and this is something that Brandon said to me back then that I, I really have always kept in mind because I thanked him profusely. Any, mm -hmm. Anytime I saw him and he was like, look, you don't have to thank me, but it's going to come a time when you meet a writer where you recognize something in them the way I recognized in you. And your job is just simply to do what I did for you. Yeah. And that's something that I try to do to this day. And I mean, I'm not going to say who the writer is or writers are because, you know, I've, I've tried to help some people. I, I don't like helping people and saying I help them. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I try to follow that advice when I can. So maybe someone else has the opportunities I have. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think that's amazing. And, you know, we did an interview after your Wilson's Pawn and Loan episode. And I remember, you know, talking to you and just thinking, man, like, you're just a really cool guy, really nice guy, <laughs> you know? Like, Thank you. Thank you. I mean, you know, it's pretty obvious to me that you are the type of writer, the type of person that wants to give back to their community. And, you know, while I don't think that that's a rare thing in the black writing community. I feel like, you know, it's a pretty common thing in the black writing community. So few of us have the opportunities to truly be able to, you know, lift people up. Like, yes, we can encourage people, but, you know, because there's still, you know, a definite lack of black authors being published and, you know, filmmakers as well, you know, it's, you know, it's across the board. There, there are so few of us that have found that level of success like you found that, you know, gives you the strength to, you know, help pull somebody up behind you. I mean, the, the way I think about it, Tanya, is like, what if that's my, the real purpose? You know, yeah. I mean, speaking of power, what if the real purpose is I'm here to encourage whoever needs the encouragement? Yeah. Like, I'm not I'm happy that I get to do this job and it pays the bills. I'm able to support my family. I think that's a, a side effect of 
focusing on the craft and focusing on helping people. I mean, like my personality is not the type that really loves publicity, which right. is sort of counterintuitive to <laughs> our business, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I always think about it. If I'm not the type that's like so, super boisterous out there, like you see me on TV and all that stuff, then maybe I'm supposed to be the type to just help someone else get there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, and I think that everybody has, you know, their strengths and their weaknesses, you know, and you have to be true to yourself, be authentic to yourself and say, you know, I think that this is how I can best serve my community. And for some people, you know, that's being the loud and boisterous type, you know, shouting people out and, you know, going out there in the world. And then, you know, for some people it's, you know, helping behind the scenes, you know, quietly mm-hmm. and, you know, the people you've helped know what you've done, but not everybody mm-hmm. else knows what you've done. Absolutely. So I'd really like to talk about the writing that you've done, you know, books that you've published for younger audiences. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there have been quite a few and I'm wondering, you know, cause obviously like, you know, stuff that's in dark dreams is not necessarily written for um, a younger audience. If you had to pick, you know, if you could only do one or the other, right for adults, right for young adults or middle grade, which would you choose? If I had to pick between young adult and middle grade, that's that's really rough. Or adults. <laughs> that's really rough. But um, like writing for younger children, like the middle grade audience, mm-hmm. you will never feel the sort of energy you feel from those kids when they are happy with your story. Yeah. And that that may be somewhat selfish that you for me to enjoy their reaction as much as I do. But I remember before everything shut down, before COVID really stopped us from going across the country and seeing these kids. I remember I had a visit in Texas, matter of fact. Mm-hmm. I'm fuzzy on the city. I, I forget exactly where I was in Texas, but it was a elementary school that had like 300 fourth and fifth graders come and hear me read from one of the books. Yeah. And it was just amazing. There's so much joy in that room. And, and, and those kids have so much fun being catered to by an author, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, if I had to pick, I'm going to go and entertain those kids every time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to feel like bad about yourself or like feel any sort of, you know, sadness when you've got these kids, you know, that are so excited about your work and, you know, so mm-hmm. excited for you to be there and how, you know, they feel important Yeah, because you took time out of your schedule, you know, to come talk to them and answer their questions and, and see them, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's incredibly rewarding. You know, you definitely don't get that from adults, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, and it's not it's not to say that adult, I mean, you know, I've had I've had enthusiastic adults in the room too, but it's nothing like those kids, those kids, kids are just fun. They're just fun. I mean, like you said, it's impossible to have a bad day when you're with them. Yeah. I mean, you also have to think too that, you know, when you're writing for kids, you're you're shaping them for the future. You know, you're you're teaching them skills, you know, how to think about things, critical thinking skills and you know, through your characters, how your characters cope with situations can help them cope with situations. And, you know, at the end of the day, we know that kids who read grow up to be adults who make more money than our adults who didn't read as kids. So, And this is the other part, Tanya, like my background, I grew up in a factory town in Virginia. My mom was a factory worker. And mm-hmm. I tell people this all the time. I've told people this all over the world. I didn't know people wrote books like yeah. I, I knew I could go to the library and get them. I knew yeah. I could get them from my grocery store, but I didn't understand that people wrote them because the only people I ever saw were people who worked at the factory or my teacher. Mm-hmm. And so another part of me showing up in the room with these kids is they get to see like, hey, there's someone that actually does this 
and they're not different from me. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, that was something I struggled with too. You know, I saw books in libraries and things like that. And, you know, I knew, you know, on some level people must have written them, but it never occurred to me that that was like a job. You can do Mm -hmm. the same thing with movies. You know, people write those movies, people direct those movies, but it never occurred to me that any of that was a career option for me because the few authors that I did know of that weren't dead, because in my school, we read a whole bunch of old dead white men. Same. Um, (laughs) But like any, any, you know, still alive authors didn't look like me. They weren't from where I was from. They didn't talk like me. You know, they, the things that they wrote were things that, I connected to, but not in the same way that I would have connected to if it had been more of, you know, a black quote unquote story. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't until I got much older that I realized this was like a viable career choice. I mean, and the truth of it, I, I, I guess everything happens in its time. But I honestly think that I know more about black writers or seen black writers. I probably could have shaved five to six years off the time it took for me to break in for real. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one thing that I struggled with is, you know, in school, like I love to write. I entered all the writing contests. I never won any of them, never placed in any of them. And, you know, it was because that I wrote, you know, one, I was writing horror stories and I grew up in, you know, deep Bible Belt, East Texas. So, you know, horror stories weren't really, they weren't really, you know, what the judges were looking for. But also the people who were judging it were, you know, mostly old white people. Yes. In the community. So they weren't, you know, they weren't connecting with my work. And, you know, when I grew up there, you know, there was still a whole lot of racism there, too. So, you know, a lot of them, I'm sure, just dismissed a lot of what I wrote right offhand because, oh, there's a black character, you know, like they they weren't interested in reading that kind of work. They they could not fathom that that kind of writing could be any good. Mm -hmm. And so I got really discouraged and stopped writing. Um, once I got to high school, I maybe wrote, you know, a couple of stories here and there, you know, just kind of testing the waters again to see if I could, you know, find any measure of success. But I ended up switching to art for a while and just drawing because that was something where the color of my skin and where I was from didn't matter mm-hmm. as much. But yeah, I mean, if if I if I had had a good role model, you know, somebody like you had come, you know, to my school as a kid. You know, I think I would be, you know, much further along in my career right now. The representation matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I saw um, Tanana Reeve do mm-hmm. her novel, The Between, was re-released this week. Oh, yeah. I hadn't heard about that. And I think I saw her post about something about how representation made such a difference um, because of like Octavia Butler, mm-hmm. you know, for her. So, I mean, it definitely makes a difference to know there are people like us out there doing it for those coming up after us. Right, exactly. So speaking of representation, um, if you were to recommend a work of Black horror, whether it's for, you know, kids, adults, if it's a film, a book, whatever, what what would you recommend listeners check out? Right now, I think White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson Mm. is a great read to pick up. It's, It's her version of a haunted house story. And if you if you don't know her work, which her previous novels are um, allegedly Monday's Not Coming. Oh, allegedly. It was so good. Yeah. 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 Tiffany writing a haunted house story is worth your time. Yeah. I'm lucky enough to have read early versions of the novel. And now the final version is out. I think it came out a couple of weeks ago. So I would encourage others to pick up White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. And if I'm going to give you a throwback suggestion, yeah. as I mentioned, Tanana Reeves' The Between just got re-released. Uh-huh. It's on audio now, too. So if you're an audio book fan, I already had the book 
from years ago, but I picked up that audio yesterday. That's great. That's great. And I mean, you know, podcast listeners, I know y'all love audiobooks. So there you go. So Lamar, what can we do to support your writing? Well, right now, the next thing I have out is the third book in my Legendary Austin Boys middle grade series. So if anyone's willing to pick up a copy, um, <laughs> gift it to a young person if, if it's not for you, or just spread the word. The book is called The Last Chance for Logan County. It's out on October 19th. And I appreciate any kind of support for that series. That's been a joy to write. Otto and Sheed and those books are my two Black boy heroes that I didn't see when I was growing up. So I, I created them. And if you just like fun, quirky stuff with a little bit of, of kid-friendly spookiness, this is the one. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So I'll make sure that I put a link to that in the show notes, as well as um, Tiffany D. Jackson's White Smoke and um, Tanana Reviews in between mm-hmm. in the show notes. So people can just click and buy. What else can we do to support you or something else you care about? Well, more so than supporting me, just if there's young people in your life and you know, the supply chain issue is happening right now where it's hard mm-hmm. to get your hands on books. If there's young people in your life and you want to encourage reading, I would just encourage you to purchase books from an independent bookseller as soon as possible to gift to those young people. Um, it doesn't have to be my books. Right. Just I, I love when people help young people read. So that's what I say. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's that's definitely how I feel, too. Um, you know, listeners know that I have a degree in library science and I was trying to be a kid's librarian for a while, but that, you know, it's it's a long road <laughs> to yeah. get there and it doesn't pay very much either. And I live in a pretty expensive part of Texas. <laughs> and, you know, as a single parent, like it's not something I could um, afford to continue to pursue. But I'm very passionate about getting books in kids' hands because I think that it can change the world, you know, especially, you know, and I, and I think one of the things that people do is they're like, oh, you know, this book has a, you know, Black main character. I'm gonna give it to a Black kid. Like, that's great. Yes, do that. Because, you know, again, representation matters. But also give that to a white kid. Yep. Because it's going to open their eyes to a whole new way of seeing the world. You know, how someone else who isn't them can see things. You know, same things as if you have a main character who's autistic or, you know, disabled or transgender. Any of those, you know, if you give them to a kid who doesn't belong to any of those groups, then you're going to open their eyes to the way other people perceive the world. And I think that cultivates a lot of compassion and we'd have a lot less hatred I agree. in this world if people read books about people that didn't look like them or move through the world like they do. Agreed. A good book is a good book. And the thing people that you recognize is Black kids for decades have read about people who aren't like us. So there's nothing right. wrong for everybody else reading people who aren't like them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It didn't hurt us. <laughs> so yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So tell us where we can follow you on social media so we can keep up with all the latest news. I'm most active on Twitter at LR Giles and Instagram Lamar Giles. And my website is my name, lamargiles.com. Those are the easiest ways to catch up with me. You'll often find me tweeting about whatever TV and movies I'm enjoying at the moment. And you'll see those same comments on my Instagram, along with my own personal book stuff. Nice. All right. So I'll make sure that links to all of those go in the show notes as well. So people can keep up with you. So you said, you know, you talk about what you're watching on Twitter. What are you watching right now? Well, I I need to find something new to watch, but the thing I watched recently that I love was Midnight Mass Mm -hmm. on Netflix. Um, I watched it twice. You know, I watched it twice at a time when I have a new baby and deadline. So that <laughs> tell you how much I enjoyed it. 
that's probably my one of my favorite things this year. And I think I'm probably going to start Squid Game soon. Yeah, I heard that that was really, really good. But yeah, I mean, you know, I don't have a newborn, but, you know, October, last part of October or last part of September, beginning part of October, pretty chaotic for me, um, mm-hmm. you know, producing extra podcast episodes. And I always do a couple of conferences in October. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to having some time where I can really catch up on some of the stuff that I've been wanting to watch. I'm four episodes in on Midnight Mass, though. What, what do you think? I think it's really good so far. Like I'm yeah. really, I mean, but I love Mike Flanagan. So honestly, like, um, you know, he's my favorite director. You know, he hasn't ever put out anything that I've been like, oh man, that sucked. Like, you know. He made Dr. Sleep. I thought it was probably in my top five movies of that year. Yeah. I felt bad because I feel like, like it just wasn't marketed the way it needed to be. Absolutely. And it's a tough sell because it's a, it's an adaptation of a book that's a sequel to a movie. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Flanagan had a tough time with that one, but he killed it. It was so good. And, you know, honestly, like I, there aren't very many Stephen King movies, you know, movies based on his work that I've really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's just a handful, you know, TV shows the same. Like, I don't know what it is. Like people get a hold of his work and I feel like they just go out and left. I, I don't know. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't know. I have thoughts here. Ooh, well, please share them. <laughs> I mean, because first of all, I love King's like I probably I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing without Stephen King's work being, mm-hmm. being where it was. Um, one of the coolest moments in my career was getting to meet him a few years back. Yeah. The thing I think about King's work is I don't think all of it is really adaptable, but it's just like people are going to try no matter what. Yeah. Um, I just think you really it's really hard to get to the level of um the way he breaks down even interpersonal stuff. Mm hmm. In, in short movies. Yeah. Flanagan, I think, is uniquely gifted to take King stuff and actually improve upon it. I think his version of Dr. Sleep was better than the book. And I mean, I'm not going to say too much about Midnight Mass, so not to spoil it, but I think Midnight Mass is like the best Stephen King adaptation that's not a Stephen King adaptation. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's, a, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, I think because King is King, I think people are going to try to make everything. And I don't think all of it is necessarily suited to be made. Yeah, yeah I agree. There's a lot, I think, that happens in the characters' heads mm-hmm. that, you know, is difficult to translate to a screen. You know, not impossible, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. But I, didn't Mike Flanagan do um, Gerald's Game Yep. yep. as well? Yeah, that one, that one was a good adaptation as well. He was supposed to do Revival, which I really wanted to see. I don't think yeah. that's happening now. Oh, but Revival is probably my favorite Scary King book of the last decade. Yeah. And so I really hope that actually happens. But I think Flanagan has moved on from the project. Yeah, maybe. He, it seems like he's got a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Which, you know, I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want to see more from him. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's just one of the best doing it right now. Yeah, yeah. 100% agree with that. All right. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? Um, just, just thank you, Tanya. Thank you for doing the podcast. Thank you for including power and purpose. I, I, I love what you do. And if you, if there's ever anything else of mine you feel is worthy, you know where to find me. I absolutely do. And we will definitely have you back. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to um, your next story. I just got to figure out which one it's going to be. But yeah, I, th- I think we're going to be working together for a long time. Oh, I, I certainly hope so. Thank you, Tanya. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Again, you know, thanks again for the amazing story for the podcast and you're sharing your writing wisdom. And I hope you have an excellent day. Same to you. Thank you.
the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.